Welcome to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. At Village, we seek to be shaped by the life of Christ, to practice authentic friendship, and serve the world. You're invited to join us at either our Mission Campus or our Antioch Campus. For now, we hope you hear a word for your own life in this sermon. Our scripture reading this morning is from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It's found on page 1033 in your Pew Bible. First, let us pray. Prepare our hearts, O God, to accept your word. Silence in us any voice but your own, that hearing we may also obey your will through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. So I have my favorites. I know many of you do too. That list of scripture passages to which I claim over and over again, that list changes over the course of my life. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Philippians 4, 13, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 19. Oh, and Romans 8, 28, for all things work together for good for those who love God and are called to God's purpose. But this one, Romans 12, 1 and 2, this has been with me for much of my whole life long. Is one of my favorites. It's no wonder as an educator why I cling to this, as a Presbyterian, while I love this. So the Apostle Paul is writing his last and longest letter to the church in Rome. It is his most theological letter. It's his most profound one, many Bible scholars say. He starts off and says, I appeal. Right away, that word appeal That's a rhetorical mechanism that Paul uses just for the Roman church. Roman culture, Roman thought loved eloquence. They loved the ability for persons to craft language in such a way that persuasively and articulately told a truth, a story, illuminated an idea. In the market squares in Rome, there would be these pedestals, these marble pedestals just strewn about in market squares. And at any given time, a philosopher, so-called, or a teacher could get up and stand on one of those pedestals and begin to speak, begin to use their rhetoric, their skills of speech. And if they were good, people would linger. 
If they were not so good, people would just walk away. If they were really good, people might offer them tributes. It is not unlike our street performers today when you see people gathering around singers and dancers and drummers and magicians. People in Rome loved rhetoric and the power of rhetoric. So when Paul says, I appeal, he's making a rhetorical statement. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, therefore, by the mercies of God. Right away, he's saying, this appeal is not coming just from, from me. This is coming from the maker of the universe, the God of the universe, the one who gives us God's mercies. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies. Ah, There's also a lot of conversation in Rome coming from Greek thought that the body really doesn't matter. It's all about the mind, or it's all about the soul, the spirit. Paul says, actually, bodies do matter. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. This new fledgling religion, this belief system called the way, they called themselves the way long before people called themselves Christians. These people of the way, it was gaining traction in the Roman Empire, and there were rumors circulating about these new believers in this system called the way. They would get together in some kind of a secret ritual and they would eat some man's body and they would drink some man's blood. These are cannibals, obviously. Paul says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, not a dead one, but a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Ah, see, there it is. Spirit also is involved. Bodies are involved. Spirit is involved, your spiritual worship. Then Paul says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. Oh, finally, Presbyterians are included as well. (laughs) Bodies and spirit and mind. Thank you, Jesus, we're included so that you may prove, discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Be transformed, the apostle reminds us, by the renewing of your mind. So it also troubles me greatly whenever I come across a Christian claim that dismisses the mind. Several years ago, I was driving to a conference center in the eastern Tennessee mountains. I flew into Knoxville, rented a car, was going to this Episcopal retreat center to preach and speak. It was nighttime. This is well before Sirius XM. This is well before books available on your laptop or available on your iPad or your phone. It was just an AM, FM radio in this rental car. Friday night, mountains of East Tennessee, I got either two choices, one, a football game or a preacher going through the mountains of East Tennessee. I was switching back and forth. There was no FM stations anymore. I got onto an AM station 
I was going to turn the whole radio off because it was useless to me until I got this preacher and said, uh, God wants you to leave your brain at the door. God does not need your mind in this sanctuary. God just needs your soul. And I thought, that doesn't even make any sense. No wonder some say, oh, church, you are anti-science. But the contradiction of that is the Apostle Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your Engage your mind for the glory of God. But then when you look back on our track record, you can see as a church why we get this anti-science identifier. So... In 1564, a boy is born in Pisa, Italy, named Galileo de Galilei. He grows up under privilege, learned, educated. He's known as an engineer and a physicist and an astronomer. And he develops and publishes a paper on heliocentrism against the current stand of the church of geocentrism. Geocentrism says the earth is in the center of the universe and the whole universe does what? Yeah, rotates around it. Heliocentrism says the sun is the center of the galaxy and the whole rest of the planets rotate around the sun. Galileo Galilei got this observation through his telescope. He got this observation through science. It got him into trouble with the Vatican, of course, so he's called before the Pope, and an inquisition is formed. Galileo is found guilty. They say that what he has discovered is against the Bible and against God. And he is convicted of near heresy. The inquisitors found Galileo vehemently suspect of heresy, they said. And they forced him to sign a document recanting his views. And he did. And then the Pope condemned him to house arrest. And he died nine years later. No wonder we're known for some as anti-science. In more recent years, it's been Christian voices, not just Christian voices, but largely Christian voices, mostly white evangelical voices that have said that climate change is a hoax. It's those same voices, many of them, who said that there was no such thing as a COVID virus, And vaccinations are a government conspiracy to control us all. We've earned, many of us, this designation, this suspicion that the church is anti-science. What disappoints me is that many of us are not. Many of us are people of faith who love Jesus Christ and at the same time love all that science offers to us. I want to have a conversation with two of them this morning. One of them is a member of our church. She is Jenny Pittman. 
And she worships a village on Antioch where she sings in the choir, a beautiful alto voice. Jenny Pittman is one among us who is lover of Jesus Christ and also a lover of science. The second person I want you to meet is a ruling elder, Rob Habiger. Rob is a ruling elder at Central Presbyterian Church in Denver, Colorado, and he is a leader in Denver Presbytery. That's where I first met him. I asked them each to tell us just about who they are and what it is they do as it relates to science. So I'm Jenny Pittman. I'm the Science and Operations Officer at the National Weather Service in Topeka, Kansas. Um, So that means that I'm responsible for science and technology integration into our local office, uh, transitioning the latest research into our daily operations, and then mostly training our new and existing employees. I grew up uh, on a central Kansas farm, uh, fascinated by machinery and nature and just trying to understand how things work. Uh, I decided in high school that I wanted to be a physicist and I went on to earn bachelor's, master's and PhD degrees in physics. My dissertation was using lasers to study solid state physics um, and I'm an experimentalist at heart, which just means I like to physically handle and study something to understand how it works. But for more practical reasons, I I ended up in a career of geophysics. And for me, this meant being involved in physical measurements of the Earth to provide a better understanding of things that we cannot always see in the interior of the Earth. For example, from measuring the propagation of sound waves or electrical properties in a borehole or or radioactivity of the Earth, we can often infer its potential for producing things like hydrocarbons, water, and minerals. I'm retired now, but the last part of my career was measuring and studying earthquakes that are induced by human activities. So then I asked Jenny and Rob if they would tell us what kind of experience they have, if they have one, a tension between their faith in Christ and their work and call as a scientist, as a meteorologist as a geophysicist, what tension do they experience, if any, between their faith and science? At Village, I have never felt that. Um, I really appreciate um, the way that the sermons look at scripture um, and talk about the ways that things were interpreted when it was written versus how it's interpreted now, um, the different ways that you can even interpret words. I really appreciate that it's not just the singular this is how it is with scripture. Um, I have seen that in churches that I've been a part of before. Um, And it really is, it's that singular, very literal interpretation of scripture that's kind of the sticking point. And I think that's the sticking point for a lot of people. As soon as you feel like you understand more about the physical mechanisms for creation of the earth, for evolution, you can feel like that disproves scripture. So if you're taking scripture as this very literal, very singular translation, mm-hmm. it becomes difficult as you understand more about science. But I have never really felt that at Village. As a scientist, I approach my faith with a large element of uh, systematic analysis. Uh, some of my favorite courses in college were academic studies of the Bible. For example, in a Life of Paul course, I started to understand the context in which Paul was writing to various churches, and these books started to make so much more sense to me and became much more interesting and revealing. I, uh, I read the Bible with a view that the writers and assemblers were inspired by God, for sure, but also influenced by their life experiences, by their culture, by their personalities, 
and by their state of under, scientific understanding at the time. And all of these things influenced their interpretation and their decisions. So approaching the Bible this way frees me to better understand the central message of the Bible, which for me is love and humility. Then I ask them both how they see God in their calling as scientists, where they see God at work in their ministries. So I see God um, in a lot of ways through meteorology. Um, I see it most during severe weather. Um, so our mission of life safety um, just seems mm. really difficult and really important during severe weather. Um, we do everything that we can. We issue warnings, we communicate hazards, we encourage people to shelter, but in the end, it, it's, ultimately, it's ultimately in God's hands. Um, we've seen damage after storms that genuinely no one should have survived, and the people that were sheltering inside were able to walk away. Um, I also see it out in the field, just watching that awesome power of weather and beauty of it. Um, and I also really see it in the aftermath of disasters. Um, we'll be out surveying damage, and we see communities working together, supporting each other, um, just the goodness of people really shines through after disasters. God created this amazing, these amazing universes and life, life in all forms. And I see science as a way of getting just a small glimpse of how that was done. It would be so boring for me to just shrug and accept that God made this unfathomable creation and for me not to ask any questions. Hmm. So rather, I want to use science to understand, even if it's just a little bit, how it was done. I can ask questions, and I can ask questions and try to understand. And I think that's what drives me to, to science, is I'm always asking questions, I'm always trying to understand, I always want to know how things work. And I just uh, I look forward to the day that maybe I'll uh, at some time fully understand that. Then finally, I asked Jenny and Rob if they had any final thoughts to share with us from their perspective as scientists and people of faith. Any good scientist understands how little they really know. Um, there's a quote that I like. It's, thoroughly conscious ignorance is the prelude to every real advance in science. But we, we can only learn by not knowing. Um, and I think that's really freeing uh, because there are times that you get stuck where God or the resurrection or some other aspect of Christianity doesn't make sense. But to know that there are things that you aren't capable of understanding, it's just, it's very helpful and it's very freeing. Um, it doesn't mean I don't sometimes panic trying to wrap my head around the concept of infinite time and life after death. But it's really comforting to know that humanity is just this small part of the universe and so is our understanding. And so you don't have to get it all right now. You don't have to understand it all right now to be a faithful Christian. The people that do see church as anti-science, you know, I would, I would just uh, like to ask them to let go of trying to interpret the Bible so uh, literally. Mm. Um, I, I, I really uh, was, helped me a lot was Marcus Borg's book, The Heart of Christianity. And he covers this topic well, and he talks about metaphorical truths. I found this to be very helpful and, and, and really appreciate the, the summary in the words, everything in the Bible is true and some of it actually happened. Everything in the Bible is true and some of it actually happened. So of course we have a history of being anti-science, but people like Rob Habiger and the amazing Jenny Pittman inspire me every day to realize there are people of faith 
who are scientists as well, and they live that beautifully. The church is doing our best, albeit sometimes slowly to come around. So in 1980, Pope John Paul II delivered a speech at the Vatican entitled Deep Harmony, which unites the truths of science with the truths of faith. Deep Harmony, which unites the truths of science with the truths of faith. And John Paul II openly acknowledged for the first time that the church had mistreated Galileo Galilei. And he called for a new Vatican commission to study the relationship between the church and Galileo Galilei. In 1992, 12 years later, that Vatican Commission issued its report, and they apologized to Galileo Galilei and said the church was wrong to force him to recant a truth that actually was truth and not a contradiction to Scripture. The next day, the Los Angeles Times ran a headline that said, It's official. Earth rotates around the sun, says the Vatican. (laughs) Reportedly, John Paul II was amused. Some of the cardinals were not so much. Then in June 2015, Pope Francis issued his first encyclical to the world's 1.2 billion Roman Catholics. A papal encyclical is a big deal because it demands that all the priests and religious of the world read the encyclical and share it with their parishes. Pope Francis named his first encyclical of his papacy Laudato Si, Praise be to you, O God. And in it, he said, climate change is real, human beings are the culprit, and science is leading the way, and the church must follow. Climate change is real, human beings are the culprit, science is leading the way, and the church must follow. The very notion that somehow science is a threat to God just seems absurd to me because this is, after all, the God of the universe who created all of these things. So how dare we think for a moment that we have a total understanding on the wonders and mysteries of the universe And how dare we think that the God of the universe would be threatened by our renewing of our minds. Yes, I know there is much evidence to mark the church as judgmental and hypocritical, as anti-gay, anti-women, anti-science, but not all of us. And we are doing our very best to be faithful. So finally, friends, why church? Because... Whether you are here in a suit and a tie or shorts and a t-shirt, we see you as only one thing, and that is a child of the living God. That's why. And why, church? 
because when you are terrified and convinced you are alone because of a cancer diagnosis in Des Moines, Iowa, we will bring down the holy power of the casserole upon you. And you will know for your certainty that you are not alone. That's why. And why, church? Because when people have told you that you are loving the wrong person or your journey towards gender wholeness is an abomination, we will stand with you and say love always from God is a gift no matter what. And God seeks for you faithfulness and abundant life and wholeness always. That's why. And why, church? Because we are doing our best to follow Jesus of Nazareth, who his whole ministry learned from and loved and respected and trusted women. And we are the church of Jesus Christ. And we are doing our very best to do the same today. That's why. And why, church, because we know we do not understand it all. And Christ calls us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we will be open to all the gifts and the wonders that science is offering us so that we may be even more faithful followers and prove the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, that's why. And why, church? Because there will come a time in your life when the only thing that will save you is the certain knowledge that you belong to God. And we will do everything we can to help you know that. That's why, that's why, church. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon at Village Presbyterian Church. Learn more about us at villagepres.org. And we invite you to join us again next week.